you only have until the end of June to get two months of premium access to the fastest growing training app in the world. The Motive app gives you a customized training plan no matter what race you have on your calendar. You can use code SMARTER2 when signing up at mymotive.com, but like I said, this offer is going soon, so take action now. On today's episode, transitioning from runner to triathlete safely with Taryn Gazelle. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Before we kick off, we have a new uh, review come in from Campbell, so I thought I'd read that out today. Um, so Campbell wrote, informative, relevant, and detailed. Brody does a great job seeking out interesting topics and guests who are able to discuss and explain information that is relevant and practical to a wide range of runners, and it's very helpful. So thanks for that, Campbell. Today, we have Taryn Gazelle, or more commonly known as Triathlon Taryn, on a whole bunch of social media accounts, very active on YouTube, on Instagram, and his podcast, Triathlon Taron. And triathlons have been a bit of a passion of mine. I do hone in more on the running. I do love running as well, but think we can learn a lot from the sport of triathlon and have a listen, see what you think. If you've been thinking about doing triathlons for a while, then this is a good episode to see how to transition and how to start integrating some swimming and some cycling into your weekly routine. I chime in with a few of my experiences going from runner to triathlete as well. And I also chime in with um, some added benefits to being a triathlete compared to running when it comes to injury prevention and injury management, um, especially towards the end. But Taryn does a great job. I'm so excited to have him on. We dive into the common objections people might have or reservations when talking about becoming a triathlete, exactly how to balance out your training, what the hell do we do when we have to start swimming, and yeah, just how to do it really safely. I'll include all of Taryn's social media links into the show notes if you'd like to follow him on YouTube, Instagram, or follow his podcast. He does mention about the podcast at the end and uh, who will benefit, what the podcast actually entails. And like I said, he was a great guest to have on. So let's bring him forth now and dive into the interview. Taryn, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am phenomenal. We actually have sun out. I live in Winnipeg in Canada where we get minus 40 for weeks on end and it's actually above freezing. I was outside in my backyard without a shirt, and uh, wow. that's the first time that's happened in like four months, so it is a good Congratulations. day. Congratulations. <laughs> is it still cold, but you wear shorts anyway because it's not freezing? Well, a little bit, yeah. It'd be relatively very cold for you, but to me, it feels super warm. So in Celsius, today we're around two degrees Celsius, and that to me is like, oh my goodness, walk around in shorts, uh, or I'll go <laughs> yeah. for a run and we'll all be in shorts and no gloves and mitts. But then come fall, if we're going for a run in that type of weather, we're all bundled up again. So like you're all just like kind of used to different things relatively. So I imagine you would be walking around in beanies and giant parkas at that weather. And Probably, meanwhile, yeah. I'm thrilled because I'm in the backyard in my shorts. Well, it's nice to take any like little advantage, any little sunlight just to, yeah, strip off and start running with some freedom. Exactly. Yeah. If For those who aren't familiar with you, uh, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself and how your career as 
manifested into triathlon Terran? Yeah, so I'd be best known as Triathlon Terran online, which kind of is sort of funny because it all just really started out as a hobby. I wanted to create something that it satisfied my creative juices. And this started about six years ago. I was an investment advisor and I wasn't super happy in my role and I wanted a creative outlet. But as an investment advisor, there's not a whole lot you can do that's creative. Like I can't put together a portfolio of stocks and be like, Ooh, that's a really creative portfolio of stocks. So I needed something else to do. And I liked making just short videos, like cutting things together on iPhones. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I started making videos about when I was happiest. And when I was happiest was when I was out swimming, biking, running, challenging myself in races. And I wasn't a coach or an elite athlete. I was just an age grouper who had kind of got over that hump of understanding how to start training for a triathlon and how to get to those first couple races without injuring myself or just doing a pile of training that wasn't at all successful because I'd gone through those mistakes. And I just started sharing some of the tips that I had learned over the five or six years that I had been doing triathlon up to that point. And I never thought that it would really turn into anything besides maybe if I hit it out of the park, I could get some free energy bars or free energy gels at some point in my life. And now six years later, it's a full-time business. My wife and I both work in it full-time and we've got somewhere around 12 to 15, depending on the week, uh, subcontractors all around the world. And everything we do is built around helping adult, amateur endurance athletes get into the sport and get to a start line and feel confident that what they've done is going to prepare them that they're going to have a good day great and that's why i'm excited to fire some triathlon questions at you because um excited to to hear what you have to say i think a lot of the recreational runners well some recreational runners might consider doing some triathlons um but hopefully we get someone who's just thinking about it or someone who hasn't thought about it, maybe we get them across the line on this interview. So we'll see how we go. Uh, I guess the very first question to start off is why should a recreational runner consider diving into triathlons? Uh, well, I joke that they shouldn't, that nobody should, <laughs> because <laughs> it's it would be cheaper and less time consuming to take up drugs than triathlon. It's uh, <laughs> It's a very addictive sport. It's a very expensive sport especially when you compare it to running where as long as you've got a pair of shoes you don't even need a heart rate monitor or a gps watch in triathlon it's just so damn expensive but the thing about triathlon that i really like that the people that get into triathlon and really grab hold of it and let it become part of their lifestyle really like is that because there's three sports and really it's more like four or five sports when you start including nutrition and strength and the balance of everything. There's a lot of logistics, so there's a lot to figure out. There's this big element of mastery, whereas in running or in ultra anything that is single sport focused, um, I always find that when I've done single sport ultra events that it's very straightforward. It's just time on feet or time in the pool or time in the saddle. And there's not a whole lot to it, but in triathlon, there's a lot more balance. There's a lot more logistics. There's a lot more to figure out. There's a lot more gear. And I personally like that. And I think that's the type of person that gets engrossed in triathlon because there's so much to figure out. I think what got me over the line was watching one of my mates finish an Ironman. I didn't know much about triathlons at that stage and I was probably one year into running. And so I was training for a marathon and just looking at the event, I'm just like, man, this is cool. I want to start doing this. And I think runners are ones to push themselves and always find like the next race to always find the next thing to challenge themselves. Yeah. And if they do, offer if they like the variety as well i think they can just continue they can transition which we'll talk about today transition quite well into a triathlon and still have that variety and still have like challenging your body in other ways but still you know scratching that itch to find the next thing find another thing to continue with would mm -hmm. you agree yeah i really believe that one of the things that is great about these ultra events and particularly triathlon when you start stepping up in distances 
I have never stepped up to a running race where I didn't know if I was going to finish. But mm-hmm. every time I stepped up in distances in a triathlon, you step into that, that water and there is an element of fear, like outright fear. Cause you don't know how the day is going to go. And that's pretty damn exciting in my opinion. Like I love that feeling of not knowing what's going to happen because we don't get that in life. Like we don't have outright fear of, am I going to come out of this day alive and running is, you know, it's going to be painful. You know, there's going to be hard times, but if you've done the training, well, I think most really avid runners can probably guess their finish time within two, three, four minutes in triathlon. You could be off by four hours if it doesn't go well. And that again, it's exciting because there's that element of challenge and mastery and, uh, and and excitement. So if you're in the business of helping people start off in triathlons, do you get any common objections? I guess you you talked about, okay, it's expensive. Um, you, You do need the gear. And so the barrier to entry is quite high, but do you see any other common objections from runners? The, the biggest thing sport for sport is in the swim, people just don't think they can swim in the bike. People don't have the money to get the bike. In the run, people say, I'm just not built for running because people have a history of, as you've built a business around, of getting banged up, of not feeling good, of associating running with pain and injuries and seeing people with knee problems and back problems and seeing those guys from the 80s that used to put out 100-mile weeks and then they all have knee problems and fake hips in their 50s and 60s. They associate that is what running is. And they just assume that, well, there's running in triathlon. So that's, what's going to happen. And I thought that was the case. I hurt really bad for probably the first 18 months of getting into it. And what I started learning, that was one of the big mistakes that I I learned, uh, or that I went through when I first got into triathlon is that the nice thing about triathlon as it relates to running is that running is actually a really, really small part of the race, having a good run is really critical, but most pro triathletes, when you look at their overall training peaks account, their overall training load and their training time, running is only about 25%. So it means that you can focus a lot more on quality, a lot more on good form running, low intensity running, and running is kind of just supplementary to your overall level of fitness, as opposed to going out and banging out 100, 120 mile weeks to get to that marathon. So it ends up being a lot less daunting once people see like, oh, wow, I just really need to be proficient in swim, bike, run. I don't need to be a star in any of these things. And I think that helps people get over that hump of not thinking they can ever do a race. What about the, what you mentioned when people say, I just can't swim, because that's what I hear a lot of, not when I ask people if I should start, but when people hear them training for a triathlon or doing a triathlon, they're like, oh, you have to do the ocean swim. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I could never do that. Uh, uh, I'm okay on the bike and I, I love running, but I could just never do an ocean swim. Do you have any advice for them? And, uh, or do you just say, just try it and see how you go? I was that person. I was terrified of the water and I could not put my face in the water without freaking out. And the really downside to, I think, how a lot of coaching, how a lot of master's programs are structured is that the coaches that are there, very, very well-meaning folks. I've never met a swim coach who didn't have the best intention for all of their athletes, but most of the swim coaches that are out there are former swimmers. So they don't know what it's like to be a 30-year-old that maybe took some swimming lessons as a kid, but didn't really understand how to swim. They don't really know how to do front crawl. They know how to not drown. So when a new triathlete hops into a master swim program or a triathlon swimming program, or just goes to the pool and starts seeing people do laps. So they're like, oh, well, I'll just go do laps. What they experience is panic. It's that same panic because they put their face in the water, they freak out, they can't breathe, they feel like they're sinking. And then there's a swim coach on deck saying, well, get, get a high elbow catch or get a high elbow recovery and you need a six beat kick. Meanwhile, you're standing on the side of the pool going, I can't even breathe. And all of the coaching out there is for the high elbow catch and the high elbow recovery and the six beat kick. What we like to focus on is 
just get comfortable in the water. Learn how to float. Learn how to be face down. Learn how to put your face in the water without freaking out. Learn how to blow bubbles the second your face goes into the water and start getting comfortable in the water and just be like like a log. Float on the surface of the water because if you can stay relaxed and keep your breath and keep control of your breath in the swim, then you can worry about the high elbow recovery, the high elbow catch, the right six beat kick. But if you can't do that, you're going to be struggling for years just hoping to get through the swim. And then when you get to a race, you're still going to have that same panic response. So we've written a book. We do tons and tons of videos. Our entire program is really based around like, let's just pump the brakes a little bit and get you breathing in the water as opposed to worrying about all that technique stuff. That technique stuff can come later. Yeah. How old were you when you first started swimming for triathlons? I want to say this is my... 12th season i'm 38 now so i would have been 26 27 okay yeah good to know i recognize in myself because i was the same i did swimming when i was a kid i would call myself a strong swimmer without knowing actually how to front crawl or do any of those strokes properly um just like in the beach i would not drown i'd be quite confident with myself but when i said okay let me try a triathlon and then i went to doing lap swimming i was I had, there was a 50 meter indoor pool and I could hardly make it to the end. I was gasping for air and like kind of, you know, when I got to the end of the lane, I was grabbing onto the wall and like, you know, breathing really heavily. And I thought it was a fitness thing. And I thought it was, um, it's just a, a type of exercise I'm just not used to and I'm unfit, but I then realized it was probably the panic more than anything. Mm-hmm. It was probably me just trying to do this stroke and trying to keep my breath and holding my head underwater and my heart rate would elevate quite a lot because I was panicking and I was trying to hold form, but that panic would create the need to breathe. And then yeah. you still have to hold your breath and you still have to um, breathe, like time it quite well. And then, so by the end I was gasping for air and just like my heart rate would be elevated quite high, but that settled down so quickly. It was probably within three or four swims. I was then doing multiple laps without needing to, grasp onto the side of the pool and um, take in some deep breaths. And it, my improvement was so quick beyond what fitness would like, how long it would take my fitness to improve. So I guess it was the panic and learning just to stay calm and stay cool underwater and having something quite familiar. Once you're doing it a couple of times, just really helps you relax and settle into a, a stride. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of people actually don't get through that experience that you got through and they just panic for forever. I know one older fellow who started out doing triathlon in his early 60s and his joke was he was 62 let's call it and he said well if I could learn to do the swim I could do this race and then he was in this interview at 81 and he said well if I could learn to swim I could do this race so 19 years of freaking out in the water and he still struggled and came out last because it's just so counterintuitive that to swim well and to get rid of that panic response and the that feeling of needing air you actually need to breathe less when you breathe in you need to breathe out more when you're breathing out to stop yourself from sinking you actually need to relax and lean into the water as opposed to try to hold yourself up and be stiff there's so many things that are the exact opposite of what you think you need to do and particularly if you're a runner coming from a running background where everything is just work hard And if you push harder, you'll go faster. If you do more, you'll get faster. In swimming, it really doesn't work that way. If you try to overpower the water, if you try to outfitness the water, the water's going to win. It's way more powerful than any of us. And you need to surrender to the water and just chill the F out. And until you learn how to do that, people are going to struggle. Yeah, I I always used to say, I don't know. Just stepping away for a brief moment to explain how the Motive app can help achieve your best running results. It's obvious that in order to perform at your best, you need a tailored plan designed by the best coaches in the world to perfectly match your upcoming races, your fitness level, and your precise goals. Well, the Motive app does exactly that. I've been getting some great feedback from you Run Smarter Scholars who have taken up this offer. So if you haven't done so already, you can use code SMARTER2 and get two months of premium access. But this offer won't last forever. 
So give it a try today by signing up at mymotive.com. Your point of view, but you can almost become a better runner by just running more without really having much technique or much like you, you plateau at a certain stage, but if you're training for a marathon, like just the more running you do, the more fitness you're going to gain, the better you're going to get in a general sense. But for swimming, I know for myself, I've never had a swimming coach, which I probably should, but I only just do triathlons for fun without actually trying to beat times. But I plateaued so quickly. Like I just got to a certain level of fitness where um, I was, I was happy with my performance, but I just couldn't increase my performance. And yeah. just because I just recognize that swimmers do drills, 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 drills. They like focus on one meticulous thing and um, do that over and over and over again. And it's all about efficiency. It's all about technique. And I just got to a certain point where my fitness levels sort of just plateaued out and I didn't really see a gain like I did in the first couple of months and people were just swimming past me. I had like 15 year olds in the other lane. That were doing <laughs> I hate their, those 15 year olds. Yeah, yeah. Those people when they're doing their squad sessions and they just effortlessly just fly past me. I'm just like, man, how do you do that? And their bodies are just so small. They're so scrawny and they've just got this technique. This is phenomenal. Um, so what do you think? Is, is it because it's just so highly technique driven? Uh, when you start talking about adults getting into triathlon and swimming, it's it's a completely different thing than comparing it to that 15-year-old because the 15-year-old, they're built like Gumby, Gumby. Like you tell them, oh, move your shoulder and get that shoulder up towards your chin and then angle your hand down. Adults just don't bend like that. And then in addition to that, when you instruct an adult to bend their elbow, move their shoulder, whatever it might be, we technically we weigh like 10% of our normal body weight in the water. So we don't have any body awareness. And there's a, a drill that, or a test that, that I like to use to show people how little body awareness they have in the water and how little control they actually have is if somebody goes and they, they hold their hands on the side of a pool or a lane rope and they just gently kick and then they got somebody to come up to their side and push them on the bum on the side and then try to resist it and hold steady, you cannot. You, you absolutely can't. Like you literally can't stop yourself from getting pushed over with just the slightest little bit of pressure. Meanwhile, if somebody came up to you and pushed you in the chest on deck because you weigh what you weigh and you've got that body awareness and you've got the tension of gravity, you can resist it. You don't have that in the water. It's just such a foreign environment that to learn it as an adult, I haven't seen too many people learn swimming as an adult and become a great swimmer. I've seen lots become proficient, but they almost always like struggle to maybe get at the back of the front pack, maybe get into the second pack. And that's about where they end up. That's where I ended up. I kind of hang on to the second pack and I worked really hard at swimming, but it just, it, it caps out because I just don't have the hundred thousand yards a week that I needed as a kid when I could learn that environment of being in the water. And I tell you what, like to be in the second pack, if that's what an adult gets to, that's a hell of a swim. You're going to be ahead of probably 90% of the field and you're not going to gain a whole lot by getting up to that second or that front pack or the front of the second pack. Um, so at that point you're proficient, you're done. I think move on to the run and the bike after that. Cool. And when you're talking about, um, body weight and types of types of athletes, I know you have talked about in the past, the difference between, or like what sort of body type a triathlete can be or what body composition an athlete can be to d dive into triathlons is uh what are your thoughts on that if the, is there anyone who shouldn't be a triathlete is there someone who might be more advantageous to start triathlons what where do we sit on that uh, well when you get right down to it if you're looking at the the very tippy top of the field like the the itu athletes that are going for olympic golds and the even to, well, I would say to a lesser extent, the athletes that are winning Kona, it's kind of all over the map. Um, you do have to be very lean at that level, but the studies actually show, and this is a number of studies that, that people can look for. Uh, if you start looking at 
body weight and body fat and triathlon, there isn't really a big correlation between body weight and triathlon performance like there is in running. In running, it's very clear that as long as you're healthy, you weigh less, you go faster because there's that power to weight ratio. In triathlon, it's low body fat and body composition that makes a bigger difference, whereas body weight doesn't. So if I look at the very first Ironman World Championship that I attended just to watch was 2013. Everyone was skinny, lean. They were built like pipe cleaners, like just a bunch of skinny, emaciated runners flopping around the island. Fast forward to today, and I've been to the last three Ironman World Championships to cover them. Everyone's big. Everyone's muscular. It looks like a bunch of bodybuilders all of a sudden took up triathlon. And what we're finding, and and my belief, is that it's such a strength-focused event that you've got to be so durable. You have to be able to withstand the pounding. So it's more about body structure and muscularity that actually does better. And I've just seen that times are getting faster and people are getting bigger. People are putting more emphasis on strength and doing better because of it. Interesting. I think like a lot of time is spent on the bike. If you say just do an Ironman as well, there's a lot of hours on the bike and I have big dudes just motor past me on the bike when I'm like going out for my weekend ride with the boys and especially like older athletes. I've seen like people in their sixties motor past me as well, just because they spend so long on a bike. It's amazing when you're looking at that power to weight ratio or just looking at performance when it comes to body type, how many people can just really be successful on a bike. It's like you said, it's totally opposite to a runner where you think, you know, less, less weight is better because it's just more efficient. Yeah. It's not like that. The, the bikes actually in the super bike category in triathlon are actually getting heavier. They're going from those 15 to 18 pound bikes to the more expensive bikes are actually heavier. They're like around 20 pounds in a lot of cases because the focus is more aerodynamics and more than anything in triathlon, because there's so much balance between swim, bike, run, the composition of what you do in the training matters more than anything. Like you can completely mess up your training and, or you can get a really good race out of not a lot of training if you get the composition right because that balance makes such a big difference it's not like running where that correlation between added mileage results in added or improved races um this just came out this was a study that just got published i believe it was maybe six or eight weeks ago that they looked at three different cohorts of athletes athletes who trained um I've got to cheat a little bit and look at some notes to make sure I've got this right. But athletes who trained under 14 hours of training, so we would call that in Ironman like a very minimal training schedule. Athletes who trained 14 to 20 hours, which would be about average. And then athletes who trained more than 20 hours. And all the cohorts did basically the exact same time. And this confirms a bunch of other studies that said the training volume in triathlon doesn't necessarily result in added time because there are that many more variables to consider. And it's much more about the composition of training, everything that you talk about, getting the right balance of easy versus intensity, getting the right balance of intensity versus lower intensity, getting comfortable at race speed, recovery. How do you structure a training week so that you're actually giving yourself adequate rest? That's what I find makes a huge difference. Training hours really doesn't. So it's much more about, I think, the intelligence of how you approach triathlon, whereas um, uh, intelligence, that's going to make runners sound dumb, Um, much more about Hmm. the logistics of how you approach triathlon than it is just going out and grinding out miles, like like running. Um, I've got an ultra runner that I'm working with right now, and it's literally just how much can we get you to run? And there's Interesting. N- there's not that much more about it. But in triathlon, it's got to be a little bit more elegant. I think that's encouraging to hear because if people are coming from a running background, they do know that to perform better, they just like run more, build a bigger base. Yes, do a lot of low intensity mileage. But we do know that runners who run the bulk of their low intensity, if they're running 
200 Ks a week, they're going to do a better marathon than those who are doing a 60 K week, you know, just the, yeah. the bigger mileage, the bigger bulk, bigger base. And then they think, Oh, if I do triathlons, where am I going to fit the time in? If right. I want to become better, how am I going to increase the hours on the bike? How am I going to increase the hours of the swim? I just don't have that much time in the week. And with this whole general theme of this episode being how to transition into triathlon safely, um, is that one of your biggest tips, like trying to get that um, training composition right? Yeah, the training composition is right. And and I can give a, a fairly basic breakdown. And if, if athletes follow something along these lines, I think that they're going to have a, a really good experience. What I like to do is bookend some sharp training during the week, Monday and Friday, make it easier, easier training, whether it's an easy bike, an easy swim, an easy run, just make it easier. Have some short, really intense stuff, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's where you put in your strength. You put in your intervals, you put in your really key, sharp, fast sessions, and then go long on the weekend. And if you, and the long stuff and the Monday and Friday, easy stuff should all be pretty easy the long stuff should be sufficiently long that it's built up and it's just like running where you gradually include progressive overload and build by eight to 12% every single week. And if you do that, you're going to be really good because a lot of people just go out and they say, well, I'm going to do 12 hours every single week. And every single workout is a workout and it's a big workout and they don't have a rest day on a Monday or a rest day on a Friday to prepare for the weekend or recover for the weekend. And if you just have that basic breakdown with the breakdown of around 50% of the time being bike, 25 being run, 25 being uh, swim, you're going to be good. Like that's, that is what the vast majority of high performing athletes do. And there are some levers that are pulled here and there with, do you use hills or do you use low cadence work on the bike or do you use paddles in the, in the pool? What do you do between a road bike and a tri bike? Like these are all like final 5% finishing touch kind of things. We have a lot of athletes that we work with. We coach at sometimes it's up to 720 athletes. The vast majority of them come to us and start training less, but do better. That's, that's also good to know. And it's good to have that, I guess, foundation guidelines 50% on the bike and 25% for your swim and run and as long as you follow those principles and then follow that weekly routine of making sure you're doing some long sessions some really light sessions then your harder sessions like midweek it, it sounds like just general principles that anyone can follow it seems quite manageable um, coming in from a patron question Sam asks can you train for a triathlon but still have your favorite exercise, i.e. being like a run. So can you favor the run throughout and just hit some swims and rides here and there, or do you have to stay fully dedicated to triathlon training? You certainly can. You can do anything you want with triathlon training. It's just, where do you want to give up? Do you want to have a triathlon that you just finish and then still be able to compete at the run? Then by all means, yeah. Change that to 50% running and then 25% of the swim and the bike or even 10% of the swim and 40% of the bike. You're going to give up something if you start doing multiple different exercises. Um, I've done the opposite. I've had that 25% running as a component of mine and I've got down to a 128 half marathon, which is like spectacularly average, but I've still gone into them and been decent enough that I can compete locally. Um, I'm just not going to be on the podium. I'm not going to be as good a runner as I possibly can be. When I want to start competing in single sport events, I'll change the balance. And, and it's as simple as that. It's what do you want to be good at? Uh, we see people like Nick Bear uh, on YouTube, who's this big muscular guy. Uh, he could be a better runner if he completely stopped his heavy, heavy like bodybuilding weight training and carrying all that mass but he wants to run and be big and muscular. So he's not going to be as muscular, but he's also not going to be as fast in the triathlons and running races that he does. And I think that's his goal. Like he's okay with that. He knows he's going to give up one or the other. You can definitely do both. It's just where do you pull the levers on the breakdown of what you're focusing on? I think if I can add into that as well, 
I know a lot of runners when they very first do an event, their first goal is, I just want to finish. I just want to have fun. I just want to finish or just do it continuously. And I think if someone's starting in with triathlons, I think that should definitely be a good goal just to finish the race, have a good time and just put in some training enough to finish. And so you could definitely do that. And for me, I just love triathlon days. I just love being involved in it. I love the training for it. And my goal is just to finish, but kind of challenge myself a bit, but I think maybe 15% of my training would be swimming just because that's the one I don't favor. Well, I don't enjoy doing and I'm, I'm accepting of that. Like if I come out of the swim back of the pack, I'm quite happy. I'm not disappointed in myself because I know that's, you know, how I've, I've signed my agreement when I started training, this is how much effort I'm going to put in. But I think also you might say, Oh, can I keep to my favorite activity? One of the disciplines kind of keep to that and do that as my bulk. As you get into triathlon, that might change that opinion. You might start enjoying the bike. You might start enjoying the swim and want to start balancing it out more uh, because you've given it a go. And maybe you're finding um, that variety is quite nice as well. And then you find yourself settling into that nice composition. Have you seen that? Have you seen people transition from favorite exercises? Uh, not tip. Well, I, I find it more going the other way. I'll find swimmers really start liking the other events. I don't okay. find a lot of runners end up liking swimming. Nobody ends up really liking swimming. Um, and runners, well. yeah, I find runners uh, more than anything tend not to like the bike because it's just so long. It's less exciting. It's a little more solitary. Um, I, I find that single sport athletes do like the variety, but still gravitate towards that single sport. Um, just going back, something that I, I should say is, what I wouldn't recommend, uh, full stop is say you are training big hundred mile weeks and to be that elite runner and then just adding triathlon training on top of that. Whenever we see just adding more things and not adjusting, taking away in other areas, that's when you start suffering in both. You start suffering in triathlon and running and overtraining and all of those things. So, uh, yeah, just going back to, I think it was Sam's question. Uh, yeah, like you can still be a good runner, but I would still recommend peeling back some of the run. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I hope that the listeners of this podcast know enough. They've listened to enough episodes to know that is not a good idea to pile on, like just add things in and just hope that you're going to be okay. Cause we know that's just overloading the body. It's never a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Even in, in strength, like if you go from 10 hour training weeks to 10 hours plus two hours of strength, it doesn't generate in better, it doesn't generate better performance at the start. Um, every study just shows that you have to peel back on some time to add in the strength and then you can build back up. Yeah. Good timing to ask Melissa's question as well. Are brick sessions important? Do brick sessions work? And how long should the run be in our brick session? So uh, let's start off with what actually a brick session is, and then we'll dive into the, the little components of that question. Good point. Uh, so a brick session is going from one exercise to another. There can be a swim to a bike brick workout. There can be a bike to a run brick workout. There can be a swim to a run workout where people are doing swim runs. Most of the time people are talking about a brick workout. They're talking about a bike to a run brick workout. In my opinion, going from swim to bike is not terribly important because you don't actually go swim to bike. Uh, you go from swim to run to bike. And that running period is a time where the reroute of the blood flow is happening. That's a more significant reroute of the blood flow. And what I like to get athletes doing is as opposed to doing swim bike sessions, doing swim sessions where intermittently throughout the swim, you get up on deck, you do some jumping jacks or calisthenics or run to the end of the pool, back, dive in, and then continue. And that teaches you how to reroute the blood flow pretty quickly. The bike to the run brick change, that's a big thing. When I was in my very, very first triathlon, really short race, 13 kilometer bike, 3K run, I had only trained a bunch in the swim, a bunch in the bike, a bunch in the run. I hadn't done any brick workouts and I nearly fell down when I hopped off the bike. And one of the volunteers came up to me after the race and said, how'd that feel when you hopped off the bike? 
you're a first timer, right? So I'm like, oh my God, why didn't anyone tell me this? <laughs> the reason that it's so important is because you go from swimming where your weight is displaced and your body's horizontal. So your blood flow is all horizontal. Then you're upright running a little bit around transition. Then you hop on the bike and the bike is holding up your body weight. So you're barely holding up any body weight and you're a little bit scrunched. So the blood flow is, is different than when you're standing upright. And then you go from the bike to the run. And it's really the first time in potentially hours that you've had to hold up your body weight and it has to happen instantly. So that reroute of blood flow needs to happen really quickly. And when people aren't able to do that, that's when a lot of cramps set in. That's when you get a, a surge in intensity and it tends to be a surge in intensity that causes cramps, not nutritional things, unless you really screw up your nutrition. So that surge in intensity of all of a sudden instantly having to hold up your body weight and run when you're fatigued, which is something that you really never have to do as a runner is to start a run in a fatigued state. You have to do that in a triathlon. So I am a big believer in brick runs. I personally feel that brick runs can be short on our team for our Ironman athletes. Our longest brick run is only about 35 minutes. I personally feel that you can get as much out of a brick run. That's about half the duration as a standalone run. There are some competing beliefs that running tired is never good. And some coaches never get their athletes to do brick workouts. But in my experience, what I see is that those coaches are coaching very, very elite runners um, and very elite athletes who are just extremely talented and go can go from one to another. And essentially, because those elite athletes are training 25, 30, 35 hours a week, they're doing a bunch of little mini brick, brick sessions just with a long transition. For adults, I think that... At minimum for a sprint race, you should probably do six brick runs before the race. And it just goes up from there, probably about nine to 12 for an Olympic distance, new triathlete, somewhere around 20 to 24 brick workouts for an half Ironman athlete. The more, the better for an Ironman athlete, because you're going to be running really tired. And the more you can get comfortable with that, the better, in my opinion. If I can share my experiences with some of my first triathlons, the, I did my swim and when it was like the, maybe the, the last hundred meters and you can see the shoreline, you can see the flags, you can see people stand up. I just went for it. And I'm just like, I've got energy here. And so I like used my arms and I, I kicked a lot. And then I got onto the sand, which is usually soft sand. And my legs were so heavy. I couldn't believe it. I, felt <laughs> I knew so where you were going with that. The legs over. <laughs> I think most people have made this mistake. And uh, then, yeah, it was just, I, I've never ran and felt so heavy before. And I was just going nowhere when I was just trying to push off the soft sand. Um, it was just like a, the, the slowest shuffle you've ever seen. But then I learned as I was doing these triathlons, when it got to that last couple hundred meters, you can, you can almost gas it, but it's all arms. You just like your legs just dangle and then your legs just feel fresh when you get out of the sand and you start passing people as you get out of the sand. And I think, I think also now that I think about it, I came up out of the water really quickly. I was trying to like run through the water a little bit longer than um, while I was following what everyone else was doing, but I think they were making the same mistake and you really should swim all the way up until it's like as shallow as you can. So that when yeah. you stand up, the, the water level is like at your shins rather than at your knees and you have to, you know, run through water. So I think there are some, um, I guess, timing things that can make a big difference with that transition. And I do rec I do remember during a couple of my first triathlons, trying some brick sessions before the triathlon and doing that exactly that I would do kind of a hard session on the bike and then try and get off and try and run. And again, it just feels so foreign that your body, you know, you're used to running a particular way, you're used to your body feeling a particular way when you're running and then just being so foreign, your legs feel heavy and you feel like it's, you can't really coordinate like you used to. And, I felt like I was struggling, but for some strange reason, when I got off the bike and started running, I had this like internal process. That I was kind of running like a five minute pace, but I was actually like a 420. Like I was running so much faster, but I felt really, really slow. And so I recognized that during a couple of brick sessions, which was strange, but 
what I realized, like I said, six sessions is probably really like I probably in my experience after about four or five, six sessions, it just felt a lot easier yeah. just getting those hard sessions straight off the bike and going for a run. Just felt like yeah, I was starts feeling good, right? running yeah. my normal. Yeah. Yeah. There, really there cool. are a few moments in a triathlon that cause a spike in a heart rate and because it's so long and the, the name of the game in a triathlon is not the same as running in running. It's like, how fast can you go? And you can go as fast as you possibly can then collapse at the finish line. That's a successful run in a, like in a lot of cases in a triathlon. If you are at that level of such a maximal exertion that you might potentially collapse, it's probably going to be a bad day. The name of the game is about energy conservation and they call it like, not spending your, not burning your matches in a race. The times that that happens, that you burn matches and see like a big, big heart rate spike and that's burning matches is right at the start of the race. So I like to train people in swim training to go out hard and then cruise after like do a hard hundred and then an easy 300 immediately after with no rest or a hard 25 and then cruise into the next 75 for a hundred. So learning how to recover while you do it. So that big heart rate spike doesn't take a lot out of you. The other time is that exact time that you talked about when a lot of people are like, all right, I'm going to kick my legs super hard to wake them up or whatever they're, they're doing at the end to like get out of the water quicker. That's going to jet drive your heart rate up, and then you're going to stand up, all of a sudden have to hold all of your body weight and take off a wetsuit and run through transition. That's going to jack your heart rate up. And then the other time is when you get off the bike. So if you just train yourself to be able to recover and, and or be calmer during those times, you're going to be able to execute the rest of the race better. You want it to be a lot more like a running race that's just steady, kind of steady as you go. You don't want big spikes in a running race. Like nobody is doing one K repeats in a marathon or a half marathon. You go out at a pace and you want to keep it steady. You want to do that in a triathlon as much as you can. Good point. I like that. And I do know you, you talk a little bit about the difference between a triathlon style run and what most people are used to like a marathon style road running style yeah what what's the difference and how can we take it as an advantage going into a triathlon well road running style or track style running it's that big huge pendulum with your foot where on the track you see athletes like ben true or meb kofleski on the marathon having that butt kick like this huge huge pendulum and they need that to get as fast as they possibly can because they can be that athlete that their body is destroyed at the end of the race because they don't have to do something after they're also starting at the start of the run with as much glycogen in their muscles as possible as warmed up as they possibly can be running in a triathlon you're starting at a deficit already like you you basically you you are pretty much out of fuel at the start of a half Ironman and definitely an Ironman race. So it's all about energy conservation and how efficient can you be. So there's lots of ways that you can improve that efficiency, which I know you talk about, which is just frequent runs, shorter runs, letting your body figure out how to be more efficient. More than anything in triathlon, it's about being durable. So I like to use a lot of trail running to, um, I know that say track runners might not like trail running because it might slow down ground contact time and explosion off the ground in triathlon. It's great. It's great for you because it makes those more durable muscles more than anything. What you want to do with your technique, you can play with the efficiency through running more often. You can play with the durability through uh, trail running and hill running. But if you can just tighten up everything, the triathlon run should be smaller. Everything should be smaller. It should be more lower leg driven as opposed to all full leg driven. So everything kind of is more like a shuffle instead of your arms being these huge pistons that then push your legs. They should almost be 
somewhat locked. Some of the best runners in Ironman triathlon are Annie Haug and Patrick Lange. They both have the same running coach. And in both cases, you look at their shoulders and their shoulders are elevated, but a half a centimeter, just enough to kind of lock in their shoulders where they are. So there's not a huge amount of torsion, um, torso movement from one side to another. It's limiting a lot of the movements and it's more like a shuffle than it is that big springy run. Because if you try to do that big springy run on legs that are beat up from being on the bike for however many hours you've been on the bike, you're going to get a cramp immediately because your body is not used to the, like that big springy run is hard on the body. Try doing a Meb Kaflesky or a Ben True style run for a hundred meters. Most adults can't do it, let alone do it after a swim and a bike. So it needs to be very, very small, more lower leg and much more limited in the movement. Just have a look at a recreational runner when they say run a marathon and their technique when they very first start compared to like the last half hour of their marathon, they like not deliberately, but the, the body's so fatigued that it adop- adopts that little shuffle. Mm-hmm. But I guess when you're training for a triathlon, you're purposely doing that shuffle just to try and be, I guess, as efficient or like just um, avoiding like that, that, like you said, those big power muscles as much as you can, because you know, you're going to be fatigued. And so, yeah, I guess practicing that and recognizing that and sort of building on that pattern so that when you get off the bike, you do know the legs won't be fresh and you've got that pattern, that technique already driven into your body. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you there's uh, there's some videos that I've done where y- you can calculate what people are able to consume in their in their gut and process through their gut with gels or chews or bars or whatever it is. We we basically know that number is somewhere in between sixty and ninety grams of carbohydrates or, or whatever it might be, whatever the source of fuel is per hour. You know, people are starting with about two thousand to twenty five hundred uh, calories of glycogen in their muscles. And you know, well, the the one big variable is how much fat people are able to burn. But if people haven't done any fat oxidation training, you can do the math and people are running out of fuel really quickly. So, and that's just normal. That like, that's, that's part of the deal and it's okay. And it's part of being a triathlete. So when you know, all right, I've got to run a marathon, but I'm doing it at starting in a depleted state just by default it's how much energy can i possibly conserve how easy can i make it yeah good point as we wrap up today with this general theme being how can we transition from running to triathlete efficiently safely is there any final tips that we haven't discussed yet that you you wish the recreational runners knew i would the recreational runners who are really diehard runners might not like this information, so I might not ever get on your podcast again here, but <laughs> um, but it's to peel back a lot more than you think you need to on the run. The triathlon, it's largely a bike-focused race. The, the correlations between uh, a good swim, a good bike, and a good overall, a good run, and a good triathlon time, it's about uh, 0.60 is the correlation for swimming. Uh, 0.90, so much more highly correlated for the bike, 0.89 roughly for the run. So you might say, oh, well, my bike and my run have to be super, super strong. But that good run could be a result of a good bike. It doesn't necessarily work the other way, where if you focus on running, your bike is going to be marginally better, but not significantly. But if you just turn into an absolute beast on the bike, you're going to have a strong bike and you're going to be fresh for the run, which means you're probably going to have a better experience. That's why that breakdown is like only about 25% of the time is running. So peeling back on the run to allow you to spend more time on the bike and more time potentially swimming, which is low impact. So you're not going to be as beat up when you do actually run is going to be pretty key. So for the people that are used to being, you know, real road warriors out there and always just loving pounding the pavement, peeling back is going to be a safer way to do it. But big thing is just to have fun with it. So whether you want to be that runner who dabbles in triathlon or a triathlete who dabbles in running, that's up to everyone. Um, 
big thing to know is just like running is really, really hard on the body and it's much harder on the body when you have to combine it with swimming, cycling and strength training. So be extra, extra careful because we want to keep people doing running and triathlon races for a long time. Yeah. And if there's one thing I'll add as well is that triathlons, I love the variety when it comes to triathlons. I do like changing up the demands on the body and just throwing different things at it. And as someone who swims a bit, especially when it comes to triathlon training, but will do a lot of bike riding, a lot of running and a lot of strength training. If you, the running within that component is the most, I guess, dangerous, like runners get injured so, so often and they, it is because it's pounding on the pavement. It's that body weight, like you're doing two to three times your body weight through your joints every single step you take, which you just don't, you're obviously not going to get that for your swim. You're definitely not going to get that for your bike. You just don't accumulate the same loads. And so first of all, when it comes to injury prevention, it can be quite nice for someone to have those varieties on offer throughout the week to just change the demands on your body. You're still getting ridiculously fit, but you're just not pounding the pavement consistently over and over and would reduce the risk of those overuse injuries because that overuse is due to repetitive natures, pounding the pavement over and over at the same repetition, the same um, ticking the legs over the same amount and just loading specific parts of your body exactly the same every single step Mm -hmm. but when you have someone who's on the bike and when you have someone who's swimming and doing their strength training just mixing things up throughout the week you're gonna get super strong super fit and you're just going to reduce that risk of being overloaded and so it can be quite nice but also on the other side when you are injured i know throughout a year I talk about this a lot on my podcast, but when I am injured and if I do get a niggle here and there, I have these options to Mm, now, I can still manage this injury. Let's say, what's the last one? I had a foot injury and I did a lot more swimming than I usually do. I did a lot more bike than I usually do. And I did a lot less running than I usually do because that was the, I knew the running was so much more on my, um, on my foot. And so I can still continue being fit because I have several options to go with because I've, I'm experienced with all of those and you can almost find every single injury in the body and say, okay, let's dial down this. Let's turn this up so you can still maintain your fitness and still maintain an active lifestyle just, and just make sure we're following paying attention to those symptoms along the way. But those who get really stuck are those who love running only run, don't do anything else. And then they get a foot injury and then they can't run. And then they're just stuck and mentally it's affecting them because they have no other options. And so for triathlons, even like, first of all, the variety is great. I love it. But for injury prevention and for like when you are trying to manage an injury, Mm -hmm. these can be really safe options. Yeah. I'll give one anecdote of the very fastest half Ironman run I ever did. The average pace was a 427 per K pace. I don't know what that translates to in in miles, but uh, it's kind of irrelevant when you hear that the race that I did when I was horribly run injured and the longest run I had done was 14 K leading into that. And I'd maybe only run about 20 times leading into that race. The average run pace was 434. So like a difference okay. of like seven seconds per K, like barely, barely different. And I was still able to train and I was still able to race limped away from that finish line a little bit more than I did the 427, but I'm still able to be an athlete, still able to take part in endurance sports, even though I had what at the time was like a catastrophic Achilles injury. I could still be a triathlete. And yeah, that variety and the ability to go all in on one sport or another, I I really like it. Um, I, I really like being a single sport athlete, like seeing what I can really do in one sport. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to be that super talented athlete year after year after year in one sport because it just gets so repetitive for us yeah and if someone is a runner and they've looked themselves over the last couple of years and seen that they're constantly getting these overuse injuries and they are getting these overuse injuries and they're thinking about doing a triathlon maybe that will help them maybe like these overuse injuries is just a sign that maybe we're doing too much in that one direction or that one activity over and over again and we might need to start offering some variety so definitely do it if you're interested don't don't say, oh, I hate doing this, but let me give it a try anyway. You need to have some sort of um, like enjoyment out of it. Come to the dark side, sure that folks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think we highlighted a lot of stuff today. I think we cl- cleared up a lot around 
training composition and the like the body types and some mistakes that people make or the I guess the concerns that people might have with first getting into triathlons I think we we delved into a lot today so um, thank you very much for coming on your you're very active on YouTube and Instagram and you have a new website out. Um, so I've got triathlon Taryn for your Instagram, like the podcast, your YouTube channel. Yep. I think everyone can just type in triathlon Taryn. All those will turn up. Is that right? Yeah. There aren't a lot of Terrans out there. I didn't have to fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you maybe just want to um, give a little description of what your podcast actually is. And if someone might enjoy it, what's it about and yeah, who it's for. Our podcast is uh, mostly guest-based. 99% of our our talks on the podcast are guests with, uh, like, we'll have you on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we interviewed you last week, and that'll be going up very soon. What we try to focus on is whether it's inspirational stories or people that are studying endurance sports, um, coaching endurance sports, giving guidance on endurance sports athletes like you. We try to give information or inspiration or whatever it is for the general adult out there that wants to live a better life and be a little bit more challenged and a little bit more excited about life and having endurance sports as the muse for feeling that bit of excitement. So um, it tends not to be like really, really high level science. Uh, My wife is no, is Kim, and she's known as No Triathlon Kim. I'm Triathlon Taryn. She's NTK, um, and she makes sure that what we're talking about is accessible to everyone. So whether you are a beginner triathlete looking for some information, or um, just really, really love triathlon, love hearing all about it, we get on great guests and uh, always try to put a, a really accessible spin on it for people to feel like they can can always come to us with any questions or or just help and and be able to experience triathlon in a fun way yeah and if you have any if people are just wondering about like how to cycle what bike they should have how to do like indoor training that sort of thing i i highly recommend going to your youtube channel and have a look through all your videos because they're very well done and very well explained so i'll include those in the show notes as well and you have your website mymotive.com do you want to explain that a little bit yeah that started out uh, a year ago when covid started happening um i just kind of realized that uh i had some built-up health issues um just kind of happens um whether it's injuries or uh, in my case it's um, some digestive problems that happen from spending like 20 hours a week without a whole lot of blood in my stomach, really normal for triathletes. Um, so that kind of caught up to me. And over the year of COVID, I was able to think like, you know, what happens if I get hit by a bus or what happens if I can't actually race? And our website uh, is a new brand that is going to encompass all of our business. Um, so as opposed to just me having this blog or me having um, information out there, we want to partner up with people like you um, and like re- with researchers and pro triathletes. And instead of just me pulling on a lever and trying to pull one end of the lever and on the other end of the lever, get people into endurance sports and live that more fulfilling life. If there's dozens or hundreds of people pulling on that lever and contributing to blog posts on the website or being on our podcast or contributing videos or instructional guidelines uh, for our motive training app. There's just more people helping others get into endurance sports. So my motive is hopefully going to be like an encyclopedia for that beginner athlete that is just asking the basic questions like, do I wear underwear under my bike shorts? Do I change in between the swim and the, the bike? basic things like that that shockingly aren't really answered online yeah nice and you're thinking big you've got this like um, these big ideas which i'm really looking forward to and i'm glad that we could collaborate and do things like this i've wanted to do a triathlon episode for a long time now it's been on my list and i was just waiting for the right person and you were exactly that oh i'm glad we could do this oh i'm blushing (laughs) now (laughs) the uh but looking at your stuff, looking at your, the things that you're posting and listening to some of your podcast episodes, it's, I couldn't think of a better person. So thanks for coming on and sharing all the knowledge that you have. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. 
Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.